You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode eight, I believe, of Tales with TR. Maybe I should figure that out before I uh, press record. Uh, no, it's, it's episode eight. Um, and uh, I guess we're all going out of our mind a little bit. Uh, I hope everybody's all right out there and uh, rolling with the punches, so to speak. Um. And, you know, I'm, I'm bored, too. I get it. Um, but I also think the sacrifices that we have to make here are... I'm not saying they're easy. I think we'll get over it, but um, people have made worse sacrifices. Uh, like I said on my last program, last uh, Tales with TR, about my grandfather going to war. And, you know, the things that those people had to go through. Again, I don't think we've seen it yet. I think, and not to be pessimistic, I just think when reality is going to hit home here, it's going to happen when the financial stuff kicks in. Right? Now, we want to have a good time. Okay? I'm just going to, I'm merely observing something. So I I don't want to make people panic or anything. And I have a platform here. And generally, people are tuning in, you know, to escape from reality a little bit. So I don't want to get too far into it, but, that, but that's my thing. You know, if, if, you know, you might be worried about a crackhead or two breaking into your house once or twice a year or whatever. I don't know where you live. I don't know what you do. In, in Newfoundland, I got to be honest. Of course, there's desperate people everywhere and there's crackheads, for lack of a better word, everywhere. And there's bad people everywhere, I guess, that, that would break into your house or something like that. We don't have much of it here in Newfoundland. It doesn't not exist, of course, and in recent years given the uh, dependence on pills and everything else that the pharmaceutical companies are so eager to get out to all of us. But uh, that's another argument. Um, But, uh, you know, so a lot of crime comes with drug addiction, right? And that's obvious. And uh, and, and it's, I don't want to say understandable, but, uh, you know, people have it pretty bad off and then they get to that point. I don't think ever knowing that they're going to get there. Now, there's some people that are just pricks are going to break into your house, right? But point being is that, there's going to be more and more desperate people as we go. And they're going to be sensible people that have families. Uh, you know, if my, if there was a gun to my head, I didn't really know that, so to speak. Right. Um, you know, I don't know what I'd do, but I, I, you know, this is the time for us, all of us to come together. I guess I'm saying that because at one, one part of me is saying, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, but the other part, you know, there are realities to this. So, it's not only coming together to not spread this virus. I, I think 
when people, when we, we say come together, I think it's lost on some people now, but I mean in attitudes and everything, like politically, I know that we're in a time that can be really divisive. Um, and we can't be like that, right? And I'll, you know what, I'll get into that in a second because I don't really get into many of my political views, but I'm going to today. I'm going to, but before I get there, another positive I think that comes out of these times, I don't know if I mentioned it yet, but... Um, Princess, what is it? What is it? Just one second. I gotta get this cat another meal. It's unbelievable. The cat was born in September and four bowls isn't good enough. It's unbelievable. I guess you got nothing to fucking do but eat, though, really. So it's not like we can. Well, I, I can't put her outdoors in yet. And uh, I had a small apartment, so she's probably going nuts. Anyway, one second. I had to go feed the cat. Okay, here we have it. So Princess is just eating her fourth meal of the day. It's two in the afternoon. Uh, <laughs> anyway, she's a growing kitty, I suppose. Um, what I was going to say, okay, obviously... There's a lot of emotions going around. There's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of anxiety. But um, I'm just going to remind people of one thing that's positive that comes out of these times is that we come together, um, and there's a lot of great art written, uh, or, or you know, it doesn't have to be written, I guess, it can be painted, whatever it might be. This is a time that inspires a lot of people. And it doesn't have to be art. Sometimes it, it can inspire somebody to uh, volunteer, maybe, but it's inspiration, right? There's a lot of inspiration drawn at times like this. Um, the obvious, obvious, okay, let, let's say some obvious examples. Um, Vietnam, fortunate, fortunate one, uh, fortunate son by CCR, right? I mean, uh, Eva Destruction by Barry Maguire. Check that out. Uh, you know, these songs were written around war times, right? And they, even though it was around the late 60s, I believe that was Vietnam, they were kind of protesting. But just a few years before that, was, was um, the atom bomb was, was dropped, right? And, and so, you know, these people aren't far removed from the 40s. They were, it was all within their lifetime at the time. So there was a lot of songs written around... You know, you'll hear the, the word atomic or you'll hear uh, nuclear or war or fighting or whatever it might be because, you know, they were those these artists were inspired. And I'm sure I'm not into paintings as much, but I'm sure the same thing. Uh, movies, right? You look at movies around that time. I mean, it's obvious there's, there's all kinds. Um, Metallica. There's there's a song inspired by war. I don't know if a lot of people realize the song one, right? So that's about a soldier. I believe, I mean, I know this story. <clears throat> I'll tell it my way without researching it because it's so fucking boring just to blabber to you what Google says. But anyway, it's from my understanding, uh, it's, it's a soldier that loses his, he, he goes blind. He loses his hearing. Uh, he, he can't speak very well. You know, he's, he's, he loses his limbs, but he can think. So it's, uh, you know, and there's people like that. That happens, right? That happens. So people are, uh, you know, it hits home. It's an emotion that, uh, good or bad, I guess it can inspire you to write. Uh, that's one of my favorites. One, uh, you know, imagine, say, John Lennon, All You Need Is Love by the Beatles. I'm not even sure if, if there's 
the word war or fighting is in all you need is love, but there's clearly a message, right? And they were inspired, right? The Beatles inspiration is some of the most famous inspiration ever, but, and it wasn't always due to war or, but sometimes it was, it was very often anti-establishment, right? Think of George Harrison, tax man. And I believe the boys were getting taxed like 80% of their money at the time. Uh, so tax man is, is right up straight up in your face. Uh, you know, and these things, you know, for, for there's a push and a pull in society. And uh, let's, let's say uh, black music. Uh, and I, I don't, I think that's okay to say often some of the politically correct terms, but African-American music, uh, black music, you know, that, uh, you know, rock and roll really uh, it's arguable, but our rock and roll was derived from a lot of the R and B stuff and early, earliest recordings. One of my favorites is blind, um, Blind Lemon Jefferson in the 20s. Jeremy Charles turned me on to him. Thank you, Jeremy. But, you know, you can go back and, uh, you know, B.B. King and Bo Diddley, and they're all drawing from something. That's the first recorded stuff. But a lot of that stuff came out of slavery, right? And a a lot of uh, people that were enslaved, and it looks crazy now to look back at that was part of our, 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 our culture, but it was. It was only 150, you know, years ago not even in some cases yeah not even so clearly you know there are and i'm sure no one wanted slavery but a lot of times there's inspiration drawn and some of those slaves that were down and out you know might have lived another day because of the music and then maybe lived um you know through some rough times it got them through and then maybe Later in their life, it got a little easier. Who knows? Maybe they needed that inspiration to get. I'm, I'm certainly not downplaying slavery or anything. Or, you know, you could say anything. Yeah, any, any doesn't have to be political. Any negative, uh, you know, happening or subject, whatever it might be, usually is offset by a positive one or something which inspired positivity. Uh, folk tales. Um, you know, a lot of people, oh God, I guess, well, here I bring my shitty folklore degree uh, back up into relevancy again. Um, but I did, when I did, I realized that, you know, a lot of, a lot of folk tales and things, um, first of all, straight up have been disnified, you would say, or, or, you know, they've been kind of made for kids in the 20th century. Uh, but say like Little Red Riding Hood was was kind of a horror story that adults told around the fire, having a bottle of beer way back in the day, you know, to pass the time. Uh, Hansel and Gretel, a lot of these stories, we made them kids stories, but the Brothers Grimm came out of, up with a lot of them. And I, I believe in the 1800s in Germany, I think they were from. But that's just one example. And, and you know, a lot of times you'll hear a story and you don't know the origin. It's because pl- places like here in Newfoundland, right, you, you got all these little tiny communities uh, not so much anymore. We lost them with the fishery. We kind of got fucked there. Uh, but anyway, I'll get into that another show as well. But, um, you know, fishing was our livelihood for 99% of the time that we've been here. And, you know, they're, they're basically small communities. Newfoundland's, you know, a bunch of bays and fishing and coves. And, you know, the regular way of life was a community of less than 500 people and you got to stick together, you know, so come up with games like bingo or whatever to pass the time but there's a lot of stories and traditions and uh you know that we maybe today made popular say a band like great big sea uh, with the with the song lukey's boat 
right? But Lukey's Boat is an old traditional song. I don't even know if there is. I don't even know if people know the origins. There's lots of songs like that. Um, because we entertained ourselves. That's why Newfoundlanders are a tight people, right? You, you argue with us one way or the other or debate us on certain subjects. But we're tight as a group because that was part of our DNA. We had to be. You're going to sit around and before think about this place before electricity, Canada or anywhere really that's north. But imagine the winds here and the winters that people go through. They were doing that for 300 years with no electricity or anything else. We're the oldest settled place in North America. Uh, no, no, absolutely no offense to the uh, indigenous people that were already here. Our history books are flawed, obviously. I'm just saying. Newfoundland as we know it today, uh, you know, is a product of hundreds of years of people coming together, uh, you know, again, having to fish together. It's very, very teamwork type of thing. I, I believe that's why we're also decent at team sports. You know, we're used to that. We're used to having people to rely on and, and your, your friends and your community is your family, right? Well, that's one of the big parts of that, though, is drawing inspiration from the down, when, when you're downtrodden, when you're, it's like when the, a lot of times in a lot of folk tales, you'll see like some normal, um, some normal Joe will end up, uh, you know, defeating the king and, and being the hero and, you know, and that's a lot of that is just because, you know, the, if, you, if you were a townsperson at the time or a normal folk that was just living day to day and you knew that kings and all the king's men had everything and just were giving you a pittance, right, to keep you alive, right? You'd be pissed off, but you could never come out and say, go fuck the king, right? You could never look at, at any point. And, and I'm basically narrowing it down here to places that were um, ruled by royalty here, but you, you know what I'm saying. In most civilizations, in most cultures up toward the point where now there's been a ruler, whether that has been a democratic ruler or whether that's been authoritarian, whether that's been a dictator, whatever. Point being, there were, and you could never come out and say, you know, I'm, I don't, you'd be hanged. Couldn't come out against the establishment Right. You can't even do that now in a lot of, you know, in a lot of forms. Imagine back when there were no rules, no cameras, no one there to protect you, no constitution. Right. Nothing. We're just going to come in and mow you away if we want. Right. So people couldn't really speak up. But how did that communication get out there? How did they tell their story? Well, they told their story by coming up with Jack and the Beanstalk. Right. Shit like that. Jack, who climbs that metaphorical ladder or, or plant, I guess, right? And he climbs the ladder up until he finally gets the big bad giant up in the clouds, right? Which is probably the king, right? These are all metaphors for real life. People were pissed off, right? But Jack will come out on top. Little Red Riding Hood wins, right? Like there's a line, who's the big bad wolf? Well, it's always something to be scared of, right? That's just all a metaphor. Those are stories that were born out of tough times, and people needed inspiration. I mean, some of it's political. I don't want to take a stance yet on politics, because I really, I will now in a second, but let's say Bruce Springsteen, The Rising. 
obviously, right? That's I, I believe that's when Bush uh, became president. He he didn't like it. I mean, again, not being political, I, there was some I didn't like about Bush. Some I did. Uh, you know, I, I I'm just saying that's what that uh, American Idiot by Green Day, a little more punk version for you, a little more rocked up, but you know, they were American idiot. Uh, if you listen to that album, a lot of it is dealing with not just, you know, I, I don't think they agreed. And a lot of the anti Bush stuff was anti, um, you know, going after who, all the fallout after nine 11. So again, whether you, my point is whether you're, whichever side of that argument you're on is irrelevant to what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that that I believe got album of the year. So, political views aside, it was clearly affected those guys. Billy Joe Armstrong said he must have written Jesus of Suburbia. I mean, what a song that is, right? Just tells a story about, well, I won't ruin it for you, but it's a lot, it's about seven or eight minutes. And, you know, you, it doesn't matter what your political views are, even though I know where his were coming from at the time. It's just a great song. Uh, a lot of people won't hear it because it's uh, not radio friendly. It's so long, but check it out. Jesus of Suburbia, one of my favorite Green Day songs. But anyway, that's what I'm saying. So, um, and you know, with that, with the, so artists use that inspiration creatively to, to create art, but you know, other people are going to create inspiration. What I'm seeing now, and I'll give a shout out to my buddy, Trevor Bowering. Um, you know, I, I, I think it was Friday and every Friday, by the way, from here on in, my dad and I are going to do an Instagram live at six 30, have some beers, and uh, have you guys watch and uh, kill the time with you. And, you know, I just, I, I've been meaning to do that for a while. I didn't really think about it. Something must have urged me to do that. And I was like, you know, it was being bored from this. So that inspired me to just do that. And I didn't even realize that was subconscious. When I looked down, there's a bunch of Instagram live. And I'm like, you know what? So all these people are inspired. I'll go back to my buddy, Trevor Bowering. We call him Bev. So a bunch of us are from, Bev's from St. John slash Mount Pearl. And uh, moved to, you know, did the thing. A lot of people here have to move away to, to cut a living and he moved to Ottawa for a little bit. And I believe now he's in Calgary. Great story too about the Memorial Cup. I'll tell you, Bev and I experienced a few years ago, but you know, so he said, I'm going to do, and he makes, he's a musician. He makes his living, uh, you know, playing music. So he said, I'm going to have a Facebook live. And it was not bad. I got to be honest. Saturday was when he did it. And I'd done mine on Friday with dad and I was so hungover. and I'm sitting here with my buddy, Brian Bercy and Gary Clark. And we were uh, playing and Peter Wedgwood and we were playing, um, uh, Red Dead Redemption, we go online every night, if you, even if it's for 10 minutes, just to uh, ease our minds a bit. That's a real great escape. Um, so, uh, but anyway, and Bercy says, yeah, geez, Bev's on there now. So I checked it out, Facebook Live. And, you know, there was over 100 people. Most of us knew each other. And Bev, I apologize. I didn't comment or anything because I was absolutely hung. But I look forward to your next one. I, I, I assume it's this Saturday or I, he said it might be weekly or biweekly. He's not sure. But check, check him out. Trevor Bowering on my Facebook. And a bunch of us Newfoundlanders, I don't think we've all been in a room like that, you know, for 20 years. Uh, so it was just awesome. And uh, it was a way to get together. So that wouldn't have happened otherwise is what I'm saying, right? So Bev, but by being slightly inspired, maybe out of boredom, maybe out of, you know, there's not, no, I can't leave and you know maybe other people will enjoy this my friends well boom it was the best show i've seen him do right so i'm i'm not saying i'm enjoying this because i'm fucking not but what i am enjoying is opening up 
my social media and filtering through because there's a lot of fucking horseshit and a lot of people are spreading fear and rumors and conspiracy, which is total bullshit. You can see what someone's made of. I talked about that last show, though. If you didn't listen, it's in episode six. I go into a rant. But some people open the doors to creativity, right? And I fucking love it. Now, I guess as we're talking about that, I'm going to tell you about another example of inspiration was my daughter, Penny Lane. And I got to give her the credit. She looked at me a little while ago and said, Daddy, I'd like my own podcast. And I kind of went, I kind of, I did. I said, yeah, in a few years, you know, I'll help you out. And it was a vague thought that went in my mind and, and right in, in one ear and out the other, just like a tumbleweed uh, through one of those westerns, just blew through the screen, gone. I didn't think about it. A couple of days ago, she brought it up again. And I thought, you know, at first I was going, yeah, well, the boredom might get, we'll do it and I'll just kind of save it on the computer. And then I got thinking, I said, you know, I'm not giving her enough credit. This is not a bad idea. I don't know of any 10-year-olds that have their own podcast. And I think she can, and the sky's the limit. I mean, where, where do you go with that? Um, right? You could, you know, there's so many segments you could do. There's, oh, so much, uh, so many kids that might be interested, you know, so many adults that would um, guest. And my guest today, is, his name is Jason Padolan. Well, he's a friend and we talk a lot. So, and I know he has Zoom and he, he has a podcast. So he agreed to be one of her guests. And it went over all right. And I think it won't, I, I think given her focus and she's really determined to do a good job. And I think that adults and I think, you know, local celebrities, for lack of a better word, like Alan Hocko or Jeremy Charles, I'm pointing at you guys, um, whoever it might be. Um, I, I mean, it could be anybody. I'm just saying that I think there's an endearing part of it. She's really working hard. And I think she'll get people like that on the show, the odd adult. Um, again, it's up to her. I'm merely, the delivery boy in this and uh, she opened it up. So anyway, we were going to have her friend McKenna on and it was a little late. She wanted to get the episode out today. This was yesterday. She was over here. So we threw together a little quick 20 minute thing. I think. And she said it was her idea to do the 20 minutes. I would have done an hour, but I have to, I have to help her. I don't want to take control, but I have to help her because I have a podcast, but she said, no, we're going to do, um, we shot for 15 to 20 minutes. Exactly what we got. We get to 18 something. And Jason comes on for a little bit, and then she has a segment at the end that she came up with where I kind of ask her questions about something that's relevant her age in her age group that her friends might like, and we went into that. Anyway, it's called the Princess Penny Podcast, also her idea, Princess Penny Podcast. And at the very end, her segment that she came up with is called the Princess Penny Podcast uh, Party, or po Princess Penny Pop Culture Party. And at the end, I think this time we, we talk about stranger things, but I think we're going to uh, just go with anything that little girls or boys or even adults, whatever you'd like. But we do want to get uh, some young listeners. And I think she's, she had a cool idea. And I don't know of any younger podcast hosts, at least not in Canada. I've looked um, and I can't find any. So check it out. Princess Penny Podcast. It's on Spotify. Uh, I'm not sure if it's anywhere else. And I do want to thank Dylan Kayser um, and Isha Jerome from the Hockey Podcast Network for helping me with that, guys, because uh, 
you know, they, they produced it and everything for me. We're not putting it out on the hockey podcast network platform um, because it ain't a hockey podcast, uh, but they helped me to produce it and um, help me get it up on Spotify. So thank you guys. When I say helped me helped her, but again, she's 10. I do understand that there has to be a line drawn. I don't want to take away her creativity, but I do have the pointer in the direction. So they produced it. I provided the microphone and um, the computer. Uh, everything else other than a few minor things was her idea. So congratulations to my daughter, Penny Lane Ryan. Penny Lane Mary Jean Ryan. And uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, we're gonna do a pod. We're gonna do a segment shortly with Jason Perola. Okay, um, and, uh, I'll be right back. Thank you. Okay, folks, uh, coming up in just a few minutes, we have an interview with uh, my old buddy Jason Perola, rival in the Western League and American Hockey League, but we had the same agent, amongst other things, and are good friends. I'll get into all that in a minute. Uh, but first, I want to let you guys know about my ex-wife, Danielle Danny Ryan's uh, Penny Posh Company. So I'm going to do an ad here for Breaking the barriers of style, fit, and comfort that often leave mother-to-be's uninspired. In their new wardrobe, Penny Posh's designs have reinvented a clothing category often seen as disposable, temporary, and unattractive. Penny Posh pieces are instead lasting war wardrobe investments. Signature stretch panels grow and shrink with each nuance of a mother's changing form, providing seamless transition back into a mother's everyday wardrobe where the piece often says, a comfortable and stylish favorite. Oh, stays, sorry, where the piece often stays. A comfortable and stylish favorite. Carefully considered details Carefully considered details add classic sophistication, inspire confidence, and exceed expectations for any expecting mother's changing belly size. And if you're not expecting, we won't tell exactly. So see, these things, I think at the beginning, is just my opinion. And Danielle promoted this just as a uh, maternity wear thing, but it's not. She's got jackets and hoodies. I recommend both, but I love the hoodies. I love them. I, I mean it. You won't be disappointed. So her hoodies are normally $129.99. I mean, they're the most comfortable things. And you don't have to be pregnant. The sides kind of stretch out. And it's very, you can't even really notice unless you're looking close. They can stretch out. Uh, and uh, But yeah, it's awesome. The inside material, I'm not sure what it is, but it's really comfy. We've had nothing but positive feedback. I have nothing to do with this. I'm doing Danielle a favor. She got an ad on my show. I'm just telling you that it is great. And yeah, like I said, they're normally $129. 99 she will sell them now for 69.99 got to make some sales online everybody's got to adapt at this these times so we're going to go 69.99 and i am going to throw in a signed picture eight by ten uh montreal canadians picture of some sort and uh, i'm going to throw in a hockey card also of some sort i'll sign both for you whatever you need um just let me know uh, on instagram i'm terry ryan 2020 on Facebook, I'm Terry Ryan 20. She is Penny Posh or Penny Posh Designs, uh, either or. Just Google that. I forget her exact tag, but it's, uh, I believe it's Penny Posh Designs. You'll find, 
there's no other penny posh so a quick google and you'll find out anyway that's it so um yeah my guest is coming up soon uh, always remember the penny posh hoodie is awesome and i think you'll like it get one for your wife uh your girlfriend or just about anybody uh, even i'd wear it uh, well that's probably exaggeration but all women all sizes check it out coming up jason Podolin. stay tuned Ladies and gentlemen, my first guest is a former Sherwood Park Flyer, Penticton Panther, Spoke and Chief, Cincinnati Cyclone, Carolina Monarch, Florida Panther, Toronto Maple Leaf, St. John's Maple Leaf, Long Beach Ice Dog, Los Angeles King, Lowell Lock Monster, Detroit Viper, Manitoba Moose, Bridgeport Town Sound Tiger, New York Islander, Mannheim Eagle, and OG Eagle. He is a guy who knows a girl named Iris, but he's not carrying a virus. He's had Corona this year, and I'm not talking. But I'm talking about the beer. But I'm talking about the beer. He's Sarah's main squeeze, and he's not carrying a disease. He's got a healthy spleen with no COVID-19. He can really play, and his name starts with J. It might seem outrageous. His smile is what's contagious. <laughs> We've never been bowling, but I love my first guest, Jason Padolin. <laughs> how the fuck are you doing? I'm good. I was wondering how you're going to rhyme Padolin. That was pretty impressive. Bowling. I did too. I had to, um, I had to kick it back a bit. I, I, I played with words a little bit there. I don't yeah, think no anything worries. really does uh, rhyme with Padolin. Andy Delmore would have a nice, he should be on here right now because that's one thing in Mannheim, that was our go-to. 10-pin bowling after games. They would serve some beers there. We wouldn't be around anybody else. And we were just, we were like kingpin out there by the end of the season. Wouldn't Did a lot of bowling. Anybody else that would probably be, you could still, you, that's the one thing you still might be able to, to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> alone. Um, so listen, I'm just giving, I'm going to give people a little bit of a background. So Jason and I, Jason's a year older, hockey-wise, just a few months older, I believe. Uh, I'm 43. Um, we came up, we had the same agent, and we were young prospects. Jason also played Junior A when he was in Bantam. And we went into the uh, Western Hockey League. I played for Tri-City. Jason played for Spokane. We had the same agent, same agency. Um, so we always knew of each other. We went on the odd trip together in the summer to train in places like Brainerd. I knew a lot of his friends from Edmonton, where I stayed and trained. So I knew a lot about Jason before we entered pro. And in pro, we ended up also on our tribals, him playing for St. John's, me playing for Fredericton. Um, so it's, it's one of the only people that in two different, very reputable leagues, he's been my, on my arch, one of my arch nemesis. <laughs> um, and in a very similar fashion, uh, except Jason played a lot more games, four different teams with uh, over 40 games in the NHL. But, uh, you know, played in Europe, uh, loves the game, still involved. So that is the crash course. And in my previous uh, podcast uh, that's still going and um, is very good, called Third Man In, then I had Jason on and we went chronologically through his career. So if that, and I know a lot of people tune into this for that reason. If that's what you want, maybe check out that one as well, because there's things I'm going to leave out uh, about Jason's career, because uh, a lot of you now there's an overlap and I don't want to do the same interview twice. So, great to have you on the program. First of all, Jay, thank you for doing the, the initial uh, Princess Penny podcast yesterday <laughs> for my daughter. That was awesome. But I know you got kids too, and you're very involved. 
Oh, no, that's a blast. It was great to, uh, she, that was a little moment for the daughter that I've never had. So that was cool. She's, uh, she's a spark plug. That one It's great to get interviewed by her. How old are your kids? And nine and seven. You spoke a little bit on her podcast about it, but now elaborate. How are you involved in their lives? Uh, I know from following you on Instagram and being a buddy, but why don't you tell everybody? Well, I made a choice, I guess. I mean, everyone makes a choice. I was lucky getting out of hockey at 30. I had a, I had a pub in Fort McMurray, which I still do. Um, got involved in that. And that was right about the same time I met Sarah, my, you know, my wife now and the, and you know, the mother of, of, the, of my boys. And, uh, and once they got to be about, you know, Hudson was about four or five. It was like kind of a choice where I was like, wow, this dad thing's pretty cool. Um, having these kids around is pretty cool. And I started to make a conscious decision that I wanted to be around a lot more. So, um, adjusted kind of what I do now, which, you know, is, uh, is still in hockey, like you said, helping, helping other young men and, and women uh, reach their dreams and their goals and, and let them be the best that they can be. And, and with that, you know, I'm, I'm working with my kids all the time and with my kids and hanging out with them and doing all that fun stuff. So I don't have a job that I have to leave the house all the time and then I'm away. I'm, I'm around them as much as I can be. And, uh, and that's the way I like it. And this pub you speak of in Fort McMurray, uh, was it's a favorite drinking hole for a lot of Newfoundlanders, I hear. Did you come across many and do you still go up? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, Fort McMurray is not what it once was. Uh, that's for sure. We've been there since 98, I believe was the year we opened. So, I mean, wow. we've seen, we've seen a lot of stuff there. It started off being called the pillar pub. Then it went to the Padolan pub after I retired and made it more of a sports bar feel. I got some of my jerseys up there and, um, kind of did a ground up uh, rebranding and, and yeah, we were the, we were the hit of the town for probably three years. I mean, it's like I said, it's slower though. It's a different it's a different oh, wait, feel wait, there, wait, right? wait, wait. So 97, 98, you were here, if, if I'm not mistaken, that was your second year pro. Mm -hmm. You were here playing for St. John's, opening a bar in Fort McMurray that many of the people watching were flying out and coming back. And you, as a 21-year-old hockey player, opened this bar out there with a bunch of Newfoundlanders. What would, that's, that's actually a very unique experience. And that, you know, in other words, Fort McMurray, for those who don't know, is like... Uh, it's like 40 or 50% Newfoundlanders, isn't it? A lot of them move out there to work and they stay. Well, there was a lot that was there. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, Newf, where, where, where they're at now uh, as far as that is concerned. But I remember my wife has a hilarious story because she wasn't familiar at all, right? I mean, when, when I started frequently there, there more, like I said, when I was done. So like when you're Where's saying your I was 21, from? Uh, she's from Detroit originally. Um, I, I met her when she was in LA. But she came up there. Uh, when I was doing the rebrand, we were kind of rolling and she met a Newfoundlander at the bar and, uh, and she, she had, she couldn't, she was trying, it was the funniest conversation after, like she had the conversation cause she couldn't understand what this poor guy was saying. And it, and the Newfie accent wasn't that bad either. Right. I mean, I, I lived in Newfoundland, as you know, and I've, I've talked to the Bayman Torbay, and the Townies and yeah. And Tor yeah. Right. So, yeah. so I've, I've experienced it all. I mean, I've had, uh, you know, I've had those conversations, but I mean, this guy I could understand perfectly and she just had, she had no clue and he was being a sweetheart and a nice guy. And then, uh, anyway, so we had a big, a good chuckle on that. I'm like, yeah, that's where I live. We got to, I still on a bucket list for the boys. I want to bring them out to St. John's for sure. It'd be amazing. Um, tell the story that you told on Penny Lane's and you told this to me before on third man in, but uh, there's only one overlap I want here. I want that story. Cause I love it. And I know what it's like. <laughs> it's an NHL memory. 
the, Mon- the Montreal story. Yeah, that was fine. I don't know why that popped in my head for Penny Lane. It's probably not appropriate for a 10-year-old girl. No, but, no, uh, she expects that's good. You didn't hold yeah. back. I like it. You didn't get too far with it, but I, yeah, I liked yeah. it. Anyway, I'm, 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 we, yeah, I'm um, off. yeah, no worries. Well, so while we were in, we were on the rock. Uh, I think it was my second year there and cotton club. Some of the guys like to go to the cotton club. I generally wasn't one of the guys that would go to the cotton club. I was usually uh, Tricky Joe's. Club. Yeah, which is a strip club there in St. John's. Um, Good guy owns it. Jeez, I can't remember his name now. Who owns it? Jody Temple at the time. Yeah, yeah, Jody Temple at the time. Really good guy. A lot of the guys were real friendly with Jody. Jody was a good guy. So he's in there with Stefan Hancock. Stefan Hancock used to own Turkey Joe's. He used to go down there, and then Jody owned the Cotton Club. Well, now two of them own Green Sleeves, where we also owned it. Yeah, because Stefan's dad used to, and he got out of it anyway. I'm updating you and and the listeners. Go ahead. Right. Um, So, yeah, so I was more of a Turkey Joe's guy. Steph and I got along real great. But then uh, Sean Thornton and Ryan Pepperall and some of those guys uh, really enjoyed the Cotton Club. They go there and play pool all the time. And there there was this one week that I was kind of hanging out at the Cotton Club more. I was with Thornton. We were playing some pool and stuff. And um, and there was – they always brought in these top – shelf girt dancers at the cotton club like they brought them in from montreal usually jody would get them i, I never got into the business aspect of that where he found them or how they he were did, the but- no it's got a reputation in atlantic canada as as one of the best if not the best it's a yeah people so you know i mean there's been strip clubs come and go but the cotton club's always been like if you've been to montreal and wanda's or Chapri, it's it's cut in that mold go ahead right yeah, exactly. So like, so there was, I mean, just like every other week, there was, you know, th- three nice French g- girls that were there or four, I think, and um, ended up talking with these girls and like went out for breakfast with them this one time. And, you know, it, I mean, not that it matters, but it was completely plutonic. It wasn't like I was dating any of these girls or anything, but me and Lonnie Bahanas were, were there a couple with these girls a couple of times as it happens was so crazy. They, they ended up leaving because they, they came in for like a week at a time or two weeks at a time, right on their, on their shift. And so they had gone back to Montreal and, uh, the next day Lonnie and I got called up to Toronto. So obviously like these two events don't even like, they're not even in my head as being the same thing. Right. I mean, I, I could have cared less if these girls left and we just got called up to Toronto to play Montreal in Montreal Saturday night, you know, hockey night in Canada game. And it was like this real huge deal. So um, so we're all jacked. Lonnie and I are there. We're playing the game. It's, it's a close game. It's in the third period. At this point, I'm parked on the bench. I'm, I'm not seeing any more ice time. I, I know that's happening. And Sergey Berezin's beside me. And, uh, and Sergey Berezin, who I barely knew, right? I mean, Russian, didn't speak much English. Uh, he starts hitting me, starts hitting my leg, right? He's like, and he's like being aggressive about it. And we're in the middle of the bench, right? The game's on. And I'm like, I look at him, right? And I'm like, what's he doing? And then he gives me the eyeballs, right? Like he go, like up at the score go, scoreboard because he didn't want Mike Murphy to see that we were, we, we were BS. And so I look up at the scoreboard <laughs> and there's these two beautiful French girls with these big signs, these big posters. One says Padola and one says Bahanas. Now you got to re- remember, right? Like I've been in the NHL for now one day, right? <laughs> Like, <laughs> that's like, what i love about it yeah I like i'm not I, I, i'm by no means a household name and especially not in montreal right so so it was hilarious and the the the, the cameras on them for a while and then after the game it, it couldn't have been better right because every single guy in that locker room wanted to talk to me and lonnie about who these girls were and why why they had our, our posters and everything so they anyways these girls end up finding their way into the hockey game and just thought it'd be great if they brought posters of me and uh, 
behind us. So it was pretty cool. That's unbelievable. I know what you mean <laughs> to be sitting there too. And it was, um, like I said before, we've got a lot in common, a lot, a lot, probably the most of people I played with from the, the way we approach the game to, you know, even the, I, I believe, I mean, I don't know. I think the knock on you was skating. Um, mine was, but I, cause I remember being at Brainerd and having the Mew and Sheldon and a bunch of us having to do foot speed. I'm not knocking you when I say that. I'm just saying we identify with each other. One of the things <laughs> is being on the bench for a whole game and not playing like, so, cause up until that point, like a guy like me or Jason, like we scored at every level, like we were the stars. Like there was no team I was on that I wasn't, if not the star, one of the stars. So I'm not saying that cocky, you just follow the trajectory of our careers to that point. But then you get up there, and, and for good reason. Like, you're not going to complain. I'm not saying, like, go fuck yourself, coach, because you're in the NHL, and you understand you're going to get your spot. But as you're waiting, sometimes, like, 15 minutes go by, or, or, or like, in, in more than one occasion, a game. And you don't get out there. Like, what was – David Ling and I, you know, we used to play the clock. We used to look up at the clock and, and bet on when it was going to stop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, bet like a hundred bucks on what number it was going to say. I mean, there's a PJ Stock told me some good stories. Um, but how did you deal with that mentally? Was you know, was the, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Um, well, that game there, I mean, I think there's been a few. And first of all, I got to set the record straight. I was damn fast, Noof. I, 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 could, I, I could rip around, but my thing was they, and I still don't really know to this day what it means. I was supposed to be more consistent. That was like the word with me, consistent. And no one could ever really explain to me what that was. And maybe that was one of my issues. Your but, elbows um, go out because you look awkward when you're doing it. But your, your, your elbows, <laughs> you're, 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 you're used to hunch down and your elbows would go up. And when your elbow went way up, I used to say it from the bench. I used to go, he's shooting, he's shooting. It went way up because you were kind of come back and you were going to sling it at the Because you were a sniper. <laughs> but I could see that. And I guess no, nobody else because you had like 40-odd goals that year. But, um, but uh, no, that's, that's what I, I would – with you – I, I, and especially getting to know you, because I went through the same thing. I can identify with that shit. I was fast straight up. Now, I did need to work a little bit on agility or whatever it might be, and I think that was more of it. But with you, I think it was just that you looked awkward. There was no point right. that I thought you couldn't skate. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> I don't know if it's better now that I looked awkward or I couldn't skate. It's all good, though. I'm laughing at myself. No, I love did, it. Though. I got to be um, honest. You looked, you looked awkward. But that's what, that can be deceiving. Turner Stevenson, I always said, he looked like a terrible skater. He looked really awkward. Darcy Tucker looked awkward. But that's what they had. That was the advantage because right. they weren't. They were getting there just as fast as everybody else, but it didn't seem like that. Right. So, you know. The, the, um, but, yeah, the ice time thing, like – that one in that one in Montreal, I actually played. I played quite a bit. I mean, we were we were down by two in the third, and you know, I was on a line that wouldn't have regularly been playing. So it was. I mean, for me, it wasn't like I was really oh, yeah. PO'd but at the coach or whatever. Some. Well, no, but the one like the one that really like that I remember now was when I first got called up. That was the year that I scored the 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 like the forty two in, in the A before I got traded and ended up almost scoring fifty in the minors that year. I think I led the minors in goal scoring and so I had a great year going. And pause pause there for a second because a lot of people don't realize that. Even buddies that I've talked to, they'll go, Oh, I didn't realize. Jason was playing here in St. John's and he had forty two goals. Then he gets fucking traded out to Long Beach, right? In the IHL, different league, whatever, what can you do about it? But it's still the same. It's double A. It's one step below the NHL. Now it's all the AHL. Back then there was an yeah. A and there was an I, right? And both teams had affiliates. And he goes out there and gets another what six right you I had five and eight games there yeah yeah right so and you played less games so you kind of you were the only person that really had a chance for 50 and you were the leading goal scorer in the minors I've often said that thanks you for bringing it up yeah. and sorry sorry to cut in 
Oh, a lot no of worries. people don't realize that. You know, I'm proud of you. I've often said that. Well, that was at 22 years old, too, which is yeah. interesting because some guys were doing that sometimes at 30. But I was still should have been kind of a prospect, I would say, at that age. <laughs> Blows me away that you didn't get more of a shot. I know that's why a lot of people don't realize. They look at my – a lot of Newfoundlanders look at me and John Slaney, say, and they'll go, well, you know, it's too bad. And I'm going, I know, guys, but, like, this happens a lot, you know. And it, I'm happy that I got there for some games. I can at least say that. One, Ken Dryden says, once an NHL or always an ex-NHLer. And I yeah. can identify, and that's it. But, you know, you really don't know, Poach. Like I'm saying, you had those 48, 49 goals, and what did it matter? Some yeah. guys got up the next year with the same type yeah, of player that had 18. Anyway. I, got a pay cut the, I got a pay cut the next year. My contract <laughs> was done, and I took – I got a pay cut. <laughs> For real. Like, yeah, it's unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, and so that, so yeah, I'm rolling, right. I'm rolling that year, feeling good about myself. Um, really, really, I mean, things are going in playing, playing well and they call me up. So I'm like, sweet. It was like, you know, you know how that goes too. Like it was later than I thought it should have been. Right. But I'm like, okay, they called me up. I'm like pumped, ready to go up there. I didn't get, I got one shift or no shifts in, in New York, in Madison square garden. And again, 22 years old, scoring scoring at an elite pace and like they put me on the fourth line and like and not even with the fourth line like the fourth line would go out with somebody else and I would just sit on the bench and watch and I was like what is like why would you even do that oh, right man. yeah that's horrible and how do you how, how's that for your confidence <laughs> well oh. yeah and nobody says nothing either right that's the thing that back in those days I think that's changing now the more conversation I have on my podcast with guys and like guys that are in it like there's there's greater levels of communication thank which is god fantastic. which is because fantastic. that was I mean that's stupid to call up a 22 year old kid from the rock who's leading the league in, in, in goals and says and then put him on the fourth line not give him a shift and then no one says anything to him until the next or, game like or I, make again, sense. Or, or this one I got that same thing in Montreal be, be called up like you know, a player of the game the night before, and I think I'm getting called up for that reason, right? But it just turns out like Benoit Brené or someone was hurt. I, I think I'm getting called up because I'm being rewarded. So I'm pumped. I'm ready to go on. Yeah. Fucking first shift, first period goes by. No, no shifts. Second period, no shifts. And the third period, it's like Ryan McCleary or, or Morset McCleary, you know, the other two, the fourth. And then they'll go like um, Francois Grolo. <laughs> And they'll like put a put a defenseman up where I was supposed. To, and what kind of a message? I'm like, I'd rather not get called up. I know, Grant, you're gonna send me down tomorrow. You call me up for this one game because this guy's hurt, and I'm gonna down tomorrow anyway. The only positive is I'll make forty five hundred bucks or something. But you've humiliated me. It's six to one in the third period. Why in the fuck can't I go skate around? Right? Why can't I go skate around? You're a defenseman. With 20 games in the NHL at left wing, what's the worst? It's going to be seven to one. And then you start <laughs> questioning yourself. And, and Pode's back then, yeah, there's nobody to talk to. Right? Right. If you were to call a meeting with the coach, it would seem like either you're pissed off or, or you know, you want to play more or you want to be traded. There was very rarely did you go after a game or anything and talk to yeah. the coach and, and people think that it was all cool. Right. And yeah. I had Michelle Terrian. Right. So it was all a mind game. The whole fucking thing with him was a mind game. Well, you got third star. Oh, great. Here, congrats. Call my parents. I think he's doing really well. Next game, one shift. 30 seconds left. Go fight Jeff Ware. Yeah, unbelievable, anyway, right? Anyway, I'm, start, I'm starting to make this all about me, 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 me. <laughs> no, uh, but it's, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, I mean. You identify. You identify. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I just think, and I think it's cool. And I'm not sure exactly who your listeners are. But, and again, it's not, I mean, you and I are both really honest about it. I think, like, I'm. it's not a pity party at all. But it's like. We, you have to, 
you had to try and figure it out. And I think that I wasn't good enough at figuring out that aspect because there was so much BS going on around you all the time. And that was like, that is BS, right? Like it's not, it shouldn't be done that way. And that's why it's not done that way anymore. But at the time you had to do a real good job of figuring out how to navigate those situations. And, uh, and I mean, it's not easy to do, right. Let alone like without a real opportunity to actually show what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You're, (laughs) Yeah, therein lies the frustration. That's why I often, um, you know, people will ask or they will sensationalize things and, of, you know, or, or let's just say the, the typical complaint. I won't say complaint. But, well, I guess I am. But people say, you know, they got it so easy. They're doing something they love to do. And it, but every day you wake up, every day your job is on the line. People don't. I, I think the biggest thing that I used to notice, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I know it's boring going into a fucking photocopier cubicle. I know that. I know that. But you got your job. You got. Every, I'm not complaining. Of course, I want to be here. Or I would have quit a long time ago. I'm getting cross-checked in the fucking face by Bob Probert. You think I like that shit? But it's my job. I love doing it. Of course. I agree that it's great. But people don't get the fucking mental part of it. I'm telling you. And until you're in the situation, they don't. It's everything to you. And things like that happen. And you got no one to talk to. And sometimes you go call your agent. And in our case, my agent was huge. Right. So I can't be bothering Mike Barnett every minute. He's got Wayne Gretzky and Brett Hall to fucking think about. Right. Yeah. And then you call home and you know, I didn't want to worry my parents, you know, your buddies don't, they can't identify. What's the other guy's 20 years old. He just got out of fucking O'Donnell high school in his second year at Mon goes to every second class, fucking eats too much pizza, (laughs) drinks too much beer. How's he going to identify when I say I should be playing ahead of fucking Stefan Robida, where the fuck it might be. You know what I mean? Uh, so well, no, but opportunity is huge, though. Don't yeah. you find it? Don't you find it like you got to really control you? You got to get in control, in touch with your the mental side of things. And I know that the, you know. Well, I'm, winner, winner. That's exactly why I do what I do right now, right? Yeah. I mean, for what you're just yeah. saying. Tell there, us, tell us, tell us what it is that you do. Yeah, I was talking too much, but well, anyway, no, but it's just the mindset side of it, right? Because everyone's so worried about. I mean. Uh, I'm going like I'm talking about amateur athletes right now, but it's the same thing with the pros, right? You, you, you do all this stuff to be the best hockey player that you can be, which is skills coaches and which is your power skating, which is you get your nutrition dialed in and you're going and doing the weights and you're doing all this stuff. But no one's no one's talking about all the other shit that we're talking about right now that is actually the make or break stuff. You get to that level. Everyone can shoot. Everyone can skate. Everyone can score. Right. Everyone can do something exactly. at that level. But it's like it's those other things, those nuanced side of the game that really makes a difference. Who can you talk to? Who can you share stuff with when you're having a how do you navigate that relationship with the coach like you and Michael Terry? If you if you had someone to walk you through that so he didn't hate you and you didn't hate him, you think that might have helped your career? Oh, yeah, for sure. Because you, you know, know what I mean? Like, that's a huge thing. I'll tell you something now. That's a great point, because the worst part of it is that he played me like. When I say, like, I don't like him, like, people think because I was a player and he was a coach that it was about, you know, you're not playing me enough. No, it wasn't, though. I just didn't like him. Like, he made my life bad. But under him, I got rookie of the year in our division, right? I had 21 goals and 34 fights. So, like, he played, he put me out there. I mean, he, made, he really encouraged me to fight a little bit more than I would have liked. But it wasn't a thing of, like, you know, fuck you, you're not playing me. I literally didn't go back to Montreal camp the third year because I hated him. My mind couldn't take it anymore. Right. And that's the the truth. Anyway, just to let you know, you know, because a lot of people maybe confuse a lot of time. They think that the only thing a player could ever get upset about is not playing a lot. But I mean, say in junior, you got to have the right billet, right? It's a lot of that becomes mental. And anyway, you can elaborate on what you brought up. 
Well, no, I mean, but that, I mean, that's just, and there's so, I mean, you have a laundry list of stuff, right? That isn't, that isn't in the hockey 101 handbook, you know, that when you're growing up that you don't think, oh, this might be an issue or I might have a hard time with this at this scenario. Like, you know, other examples when I got traded to Toronto, right? Like I never, I was asleep in my bed in Greensboro, North Carolina, in the minors, right? Playing for the Carolina Monarchs. I'd already had my 19 games in the NHL with Florida. They'd sent me down. They brought up Nemirovsky. They're kind of in a playoff push. It was fine. Like they talked to me and said, Hey, you know, you're part of this team. We're just, you know, like we're, we're, this is all part of your development. You're having a great year down there in the minors. Go ahead, go down there and go kick some ass. So, I mean, it was all good. It wasn't like I was banished. Right. But I'm in bed thinking I'm going to be a Florida Panther for the next 15 years, right? Starting next season. And the phone rings and it's Toronto. I just got traded at the deadline, right, for Kirk Muller. So I get up from that nap in Greensboro, North Carolina, which couldn't be farther away from an NHL city or an NHL town. No. And in three hours, I'm on a plane to, to Toronto, where I am going to be playing against the Legion of Doom the next night, uh, Philadelphia Flyers. That was my first game was against those guys. Holy yeah. fuck, yeah. So, like, talk about, like, so, and again, 20, 21 years old, right? 21 years old, and in three hours, your entire life switched. I never saw that apartment again. I never saw my roommate again. I left my car there. I had one suitcase. I didn't know anyone in that organization, right? Zero. I had I'd gone to the camps with Florida. I knew all the veterans in Florida. I knew all the, there was a comfort level there. The coaches knew me. And now I'm walking into a dressing room with Wendell Clark, Matt Sundin, Curtis Joseph, Ty Domi. None of these guys I've ever met in my life. None of them know who I am. I don't know who the coaches are. And I'm playing in front of whatever, 18,000 people. And Eric Lindos the next night. And I wasn't prepared for that. And I think rightfully so, right? But there is a way to get prepared for that. And after you've gone through it and you know there's shit I could have been doing yeah. away from the rink that would have been getting me ready, right? Having the conversations that are required to get me ready, thinking about the game different, about where I want to be instead of where I am. And there's lots of ways that are like scientifically proven to get you ready, but it's like, that's the stuff, man. And then there's the opportunity that we're talking right, about. Uh, Jason, right? what you're saying, man, I only call you Jason when I'm being real serious, but <laughs> that, that right there, what you just said, yes, you just, you just, ex you explained the way a trade really is, man. And, that was beautiful. Put that. So you fans out there that think it's easy or, you know, it's just about going a city to a city. That's what it's like. It's, it's, it's completely, everything changes and you're going into that situation. And like I said, you, I know what you're saying. You look back and there are ways you could have. And, and when I was referring to Terry and exactly, if I just spoken to the guy, if I just went in and like had four or five regular conversations, right. Or if you just, you, you, you went into that, you, you were completely unprepared, as, as was I at the time. I'm never going to get traded. Like, I'm, I'm going to be in Montreal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow with uh, the, the players around me. And all of a sudden, boom, you're gone. You're, you're yesterday's news or you're traded to a situation. I mean, you weren't only going from the minors or from Florida, like, to another team. Like, the biggest part of that story to me, you just named, like, six legends that are on the Toronto Maple Leafs and you've got to go play with them and go out and try to be yourself. And you're going against Eric Lindros, which people might forget was the biggest and the best and the most scary fucking player in the NHL because he was so good and he was so he, tough. He had four goals that night. <laughs> wow. And I mean, Renberg and Leclerc were huge. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Huge. They're massive. Legion of doom. They were called, they were like the big, they were the most feared line in hockey. Um, and yeah, I mean, and all the little intricacies about that, like, 
I mean, again, like you said, I think you for like, a trade is difficult to begin with when you when you take the context of being 21 and in the minors. So like you haven't established yourself as an NHL player yet. You know, I had my 19 games, but again, like I'm not, you know, whoever. Right. I'm not I'm not a guy that's been there for five years now going to another city. And, and they, they all know the peer groups there. Right. You're part of the club. You're part of the boys. Right. Like I wasn't part of the boys yet. You know what I mean? So I was like trying to navigate how to how to operate in that locker room. Like you said, being yourself being authentic to that, being one of the guys, which was always the most important thing to me. And I think you can relate to that and maybe to, uh, to my detriment, right. You know what I mean? Like I always wanted to be accepted by those guys. I wanted to be a guy that, you know, they could have fun with or, you know, go out or was respected. Right. So I was always worried about that. And then you're trying to figure out, I mean, how to get from the rink to your hotel room. Like, I mean, who you're playing with the system, then you, I mean, the, the reporters, like the radio shows that are on about you, like it was absolutely insane. And the hockey was like the, which which should have been the paramount focus. Not that it was a backseat, but it was like, by the time the game started, it was like, how do I navigate this? Right. And how do I be my best in this scenario? So like all the noise and all the distraction and like really being able to focus, like all those things I'm talking about right now, those are the things like you can have a plan. You can have a game plan with that stuff. And you can be thinking about it before it happens. And that's what I'm helping guys with now is like that aspect. Because like you said, Mike Barnett wasn't there to pick up the phone for me. The coaches weren't talking to me. My parents didn't get it. There was no one else. There was no one to talk to, right? So like you, yeah, you need be, support. You, you become, you're living this life. And the further you go up the ladder, I found, it might sound gloomy, but I found the less and less friends or, or, or they're, they're, I had friends, lots of them. You get more of those and acquaintances, but the less people could identify with me. And my dad, who could always identify with me, right, who was a 44th overall back in the 70s, but even he started because the game was different, the training was different, the people were different. Um, I, I was a bigger star. I was in a bigger city. It just, it ended up, and I remember even when I kind of lost the relatability of my father, I was like, wow, like here I am in Montreal. Now, not all bad. Loved Montreal. Still go back. Love everything about it outside of anything that happened to me or any political side you take on it. I had a great time. I'm just saying you start to really feel where I think people watching the trajectory from a distance in the public would think that you're gaining friends and you're gaining people that can kind of identify with you in your in your own world, but you're actually losing them. Right. So the mental side of it is massive. I went, I don't know if you ever worked with Wayne Halliwell, but he was with the Canadians when I was there. He was a sports psychologist. I think he might've been there when you won the world junior. You, yeah, no, he was. Yeah, you mentioned that before, and he was. Yeah, I definitely yeah, met yeah. Wayne. Great guy. So he was great. That's the first I was ever not embarrassed to speak. Like, it, it, there was people in Tri-Cities that were available. And when I first went to Montreal, they didn't really say there wasn't. They just didn't bring it up. And then Wayne was in there one day, and a few of the guys encouraged it. I won't say who. But now it would be – that's what I love about today's society. If we've gone in any direction, that's great. That's it. That's it. I know some things have, have changed big time. But that- yeah, how do you feel? How do you feel about that? Because I, I, I think like where I like to position myself is like I'm not a sports psychologist. I mean, I'm the first one to admit it. I haven't gone to school. I don't have the academia behind me. I'm very well read and very well listened. I'm very much a I, learner. I love where you're um, going with this. Go ahead. Um, but I, I think like for you and for me too, when I was playing, I still think it's the same for the guys in this day and age. Is that the sports psychologist? Like, there's a big barrier there because one, you have to say that you got a problem. Yeah. Right. And that's, and that's a warrior mentality and a warrior mindset that NHL guys don't have. And if you get into that level, like you've been trained and conditioned almost not to think that you have anything wrong with you. So like Good to point. first of all, understand that you do. And then next to pick up the phone and talk to the sports psychologist about your problem, like 
there's a whole bunch of mental gymnastics that happen there, I think, you know, yeah. but like what I'm doing and where I'm positioning myself is like, you know what, there doesn't, you, there's nothing wrong with you and there may not even be a problem right now. It's just about how do we get you better and how do we get you prepared on a day-to-day level to be your best? And well, that's a way different conversation, I think, to start off with. Plus someone who's been in the ropes, who knows it and listen, hasn't done it in a classroom, you know? That's my, okay. So I love that you said that because I'm often, any of my friends that I talk to about this, because I really, a lot of those years, man, I went through a lot mentally. And then to, to, to be brought up and to fail in the public. I mean, I'm not even talking about that yet. It was one thing to have the pressure, but I mean, I really did too. It's magnified. I'm from a province. I'm the highest pick ever from here. There's not a lot of New, uh, Newfoundlanders playing pro, let alone the NHL. So... I mean, um, you know, I really needed the help a little bit. And I will say this, most sports psychologists to me didn't really get it. Wayne, Wayne really stood out to me because he did like a player. And I'm not knocking them, but you need often, like I would feel more comfortable picking up the phone and talking to you, even as a friend. But not only even if I didn't know you, um, I don't know. Um, I hear Brant Myers has sobered up. And I, I've never met him other than fight him when he was in Spokane. He nearly killed me, but I heard him on Spit and Chicklets. <laughs> Like I would, I would almost rather like talk to a guy like that and not about boozing or just about any problem that I had in hockey or something, or if I had a kid that was like 16, I'll go, look, that guy been through it all. He had to fight his way there first of all. And then he was a decent player and he went through all that. Then he beat substance abuse. He's like someone that can identify. So for most people, for me, um, when I say talk to somebody, it's not necessarily a therapist, although Wayne really stood out because he got it, but most of the time it's an ex-player. That's why what you're doing, I think, has so much oh, so much weight because you've been there and you've seen it and you've done it. And if you didn't become mentally tough, you just would have faded off in the, in the, the, you know, into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, thanks for saying that. And again, this is no despair. Uh, I mean, I'm not disparaging sports psychology. I mean, I think that's an amazing field and there's, and there's a ton of people that need it. I'm just saying that there's a gap, I think, between the people that need the sports psychologists and the people that just need some help being better, you know, and want that support and want that assistance and want that relatability. So I just think that there is a hole I and mean, there's a gap between the sports psychologist and the guy that that's that's just doing his business in, in whether he's in junior hockey or whether he's in the NHL that could just use some support right someone to talk to someone that's been there someone that that treats the field like the mindset field the high performance well, field with some respect and studies it right like I'm not a, I'm a student of it right I get well, it are. I know I know how to do it but I'm not I don't have letters after my name you know so there's no, a difference there this right? is the other thing you, this is where you got to tread the line though people got to understand so I guess my point earlier is that you to me, yeah, it's like if uh, someone had a, if a young basketball player had a problem, I'd probably point him towards Carl English here, you know, and I'm not disrespecting, you know, who's a Newfoundlander that played on Team Canada, that faced a lot of adversity, for example, then, all, then always the therapist. Sometimes they're okay and everything, but what I'm saying is that someone like you can really help because of your experience and people just talking to you now, the way you can articulate the mental toughness that you've displayed, clearly, I would send my client towards you if I needed that, but... Lots of people out there on Instagram and Facebook and everything are, are declaring themselves life coaches. They're declaring mm. themselves these personal health benefiters, and they're not. They're fucking nothing. They don't have anything. They read an article in Cosmopolitan about <laughs> eating fucking eating your greens and doing your push-ups, <laughs> and all of a sudden they're going to tell me how to live my fucking life. And life coach? You give me a fucking break. Life coach. Just think about that. Think about what you're saying. Like, I'm not religious. But if I was, like, the only life coach that could be is Jesus or, or Yahweh or Buddha or whatever the fuck might be. But, you know, <coughs> life coach, not even my father or my mother, like, you're going to tell me exactly how to live my life? You know, can I, can I have a coffee, life coach? Like, I, <laughs> hey, Jeremy, Jeremy, do you mind if I go to a movie? 
I don't get that. Right? But people are claiming that, Pods. So I don't know. I guess you just like anything else, like following the news nowadays. There's a lot of shit that's not true. You got to have a good filter process. You got to figure it out because it's fun. yeah. I mean, ask questions. You know, I mean, I mean for sure. I mean, it is a field. It's a field in general. Like the coaching field, there's a stigma around it. Um, and I'm sure because there's a lot of charlatans there that aren't doing a good job for people and, you know, are, are stamping a, a, a label on themselves and, and rocking and rolling. Um, and it is what it is. It is unregulated. I don't know how to regulate it. I mean, I'm not trying to fix the system by any means. But one thing I will say, Noof, is that people need support and people don't think that they do for whatever reason. And people, especially males, especially males, think that you're weak or you're not masculine or you're not tough if there's someone in your corner. And the one thing that I find... The guys that are the best at what they do, you know how big their teams are around them? And they're the best, right? Like Jordan, Curry, Woods, Crosby, like these guys that got it dialed in, Federer, Nadal, the, t- the best of the best have people around them to help them because they know they can't be their best on their own. And, and that's where it comes that down vulnerable to. Because 100%. Vulnerable. That's why a lot of the best athletes, I often say, there's, there's a point of admitting that you're vulnerable and needing a team around you. And with that creates uh, the, the humble kind of attitude. And I'm not just saying hockey. I often use it in hockey. Like say, you know, look at Lemieux, Gretzky, or Howe. Pick any of them. Pick any of them. And they can, if you ask them first, they would say that they were successful because of their teammates. But Michael Jordan, I can go on and on. I mean, in any team sport, um, most uh, David Beckham, like these people have gone on record and often said it. And because once they cross over, and take that humble approach, even though they're still great, they achieve more because they allow their teammates around them, which isn't always on the court teammates, right? It's people that are handling your business and you trust with your life and yeah. you need that. And they will, they will always rise. But again, that's something that you can, a lot of people don't realize that Pods, you've brought up. You don't think that's funny though. Like I, I think that there's a massive irony there, like that, you know, Joe, whoever, Joe, Joe Carpenter guy, right. Who's like, there's no way I need any help. Right. Even like you, you're kind of, you're making fun of life coaches. Like let's change the name and let's just say it's a coach. Let's say it's a business coach. Even I, I don't know what it is or whatever well, the scenario I think life is. Life coaches. Yeah. Change your fucking name. And then I'm happy. That's the first yeah, of the battle. Ch- ch- change the name. Right. But like, as far as like, if you're not operating on all cylinders and if you're having a hard time getting over whatever it is, or even if you do think that you're, you're operating on, you're, you mean, I'm like 80% right now. I'm rolling, right? Days are good. My energy is high, but you, you know what? There's still another level and that's where you need to get to. And that's the guys, like the guys we already named, like the best of the best, they get that, right? Yeah. They're great at what they do. Yeah. They have a natural talent set, but they also know that, you know what, to get, to get out of their own way and push their own comfort zones. They need someone there to help them with that. And that's okay, right? Well, that's okay. That's the new era. I think one-on-one coaching is the future, man. I think it's, I mean, I think it's just starting to happen now well, on the professional level and um, for, it might you know, be. I just, normal guys I, too. I take, yeah, who those coaches are is another story. Yeah. I just, I no, just, no, 100%. I, I don't like when like Bill from Powers Pond gets the same credibility that you or, or Wayne Halliwell or whoever it might be does. Yeah. Um, no, now, I'm not saying agree. that you're an expert in everything either because yeah. if I was going to go get a fucking haircut, I wouldn't ask Jason Panolin to do it. But just right. don't put on Instagram that you're a hair expert, right? Well, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, great point, great point. Ask questions. I mean, that's that's yeah. the biggest thing, right? And and that's the, that's the thing too is like why there's a, there's a place for everybody there. Like I'm not going to relate to some people. I mean, and I get that. When I get on the phone call with guys, it's the first thing I say all the time is like the relationship is the most important, period. You know, the relationship, you need to respect me. I need to respect you. We need to, we need to get excited about being on a phone call together. And if that's there, now we got something. Now we can move forward. Right. And it's not going to be the same for all the time. Which, which brings me to my next question. Hmm. I, no- I noticed 
later on in the career there, called up for six games. You had five penalty minutes, and I'm guessing that's a fight. Who did you fight in the NHL? Or Jamal Myers. Really? Got to yeah. know him pretty well. He comes here in the – well, he's not going to come this spring to do a heart and, heart and stroke thing. You guys, no wonder. You had two right-hand shots around the same size. Little well, You know what? That's a good story, too. That's a really good story, actually. Well, let's hear um, well, first of all, it goes back because he came back to my place in St. John's, Newfoundland after the bar one night. When he was playing with Wooster? <laughs> yeah. He came back to me with Freddie. That's how I know him. <laughs> I'm gonna get a, that's how I fucking know him. Same division, same year. I yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, yeah, so I knew him from that night. And then, and then yeah, I ended up getting traded. He ended up getting called up to St. Louis. That was after I got traded for Yannick Perot. So now I'd, I'd been in Long Beach, up in, up in L.A. So now I'm in L.A. with the Kings. It's the last game of the regular season against St. Louis, right? We had just watched Wayne Gretzky retire, okay? Because we were on the, on the West Coast in, in L.A., and, and Wayne was playing for the Rangers. We had to watch his swan song. Our, our whole game, all of the arena forum stops, and it's on the big screen, and Wayne's skating around, right? Super cool, right? Just like one of my biggest memories, like sitting there watching Wayne Gretzky retire as an NHL player, right? Holy like it was. Shit. Yeah, it was super cool. And, um, but the game was a mean-nothing game, right? Not for me personally, but it was a mean-nothing game for the Kings and it was a mean-nothing game for St. Louis. Neither one of these teams were in the playoffs. And, um, and Robinson was the coach. And I, again, I had a hard time. Like, that was one of the things for me personally. Like, to go out there and play 100%, even though I wasn't an NHLer, yeah. you know, just because I understood the context of the game was a mean nothing game in general, like that I didn't want to be that guy with my chicken with my head cut off for whatever reason. You know what I mean, like stupid, like the way I identified with myself is like, I'm not doing that. I, I played hard, but I wasn't going crazy. Right. Obviously I wasn't you going hard enough. It. You were overthinking little, yeah, it. Way overthinking yeah. it. Larry Robinson says to me, it was in probably second or third period. He's like, he's mad, right? Like obviously I wasn't playing hard enough and he's like, whatever. He's up one side of me kind of and down the other. And, and like, go out there and do something. So I go out there and play how maybe I should have been playing the whole time. All I did was finish my check on Jamal. And of course, cause it was that type of game that guys weren't finishing their checks and going crazy. Right. Jamal Myers takes exception to me hitting him, And as I'm rolling off of him, he already has his gloves off and he's grabbed me from, from the back of my neck. Right. And spins me around. And anyways, I mean, it wasn't much of a fight cause I didn't even have my gloves off. What, what yet, part but. of the game? Um, second or third, it was in the far corner. It was on the four check. I got him down. He came down as a, he came down the wall as a winger and I got him in the corner and hit him pretty good. And, uh, he took exception to that. But anyway, so I got a fight, you know what I mean? And I don't know, it was kind of like Larry, Larry, uh, happy with that. You know, is that what you want? Cause that's exactly what was going to happen. Right. <laughs> you play you that were, type of you, game you like really, that. You, you were feisty for a guy that, you know, you were a snipe show. I've said that. Like I went too far into the fighting racket cause we were, you know, in, in junior and in, in, in before that. You know, we, we both scored at around the same level. So um, when seeing you at Spokane, though, like there was many times you, you were a good team guy that way. Like sometimes you didn't really need to do it, but you knew that I haven't fought in six or seven games and it's getting so you just drop your gloves. I love and when you did and it happened in St. John's too a few times, but you could go toe to toe. You really could. You, were well, you know who I had guys. to fight for all the time was um, remember Maxim Betts? Yes, I do remember yeah. Matson Betts. So he was my he was my left winger, and I was center that year. I was still playing center at the time, and I had Jeremy uh, Stasiak on my right side and Maxim on my left side. Now Maxim was older than me; he was like eighteen or nineteen, and I was a sixteen-year-old that year. And uh, and he was a, he 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 used a stick a ton. Like 
he protect himself with his stick and, and by doing so he pissed a lot of guys off. So as a 16 year old, I was fighting for him a lot. Like I had 15 fights, I think my, my 16 year old year in the WHL. And it was mostly, like you say, not necessarily to do with me or creating space for me, but it was like, so apparently helping other guys out, like why I felt that I was in that role. But, uh, anyways, I always, I always dropped the gloves a little bit. I, I had some fun with it. It wasn't something, it was more like, uh, it was never premeditated. Like you kind of had an idea. I've heard you talk before of like, I'm going to do this to, to make this happen. Um, for me, it was generally reactionary and usually in the moment and usually for somebody else, but, um, I didn't mind doing it. It was fine. Well, for the fight. Yeah. For that Ma- 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 Jamal Mayer story, that's actually not bad. Like if you're going to fight, there was a nice little, uh, setting. There was a nice story happening around it. I like that. Yeah. Well, he was tough too. He was a good middleweight. He was tough. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was feisty. He, yeah, I really respected the way he played. Um, Western hey, Newf, but, but, but before, yeah, I just want to say, cause I just interviewed, um, Tom Cowell. Do you remember Tom? Uh, the referee. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I interviewed him on up my hockey. So my podcast and he was my last guest and it, what an amazing interview. Like I love talking with him, but he spoke without me even asking him about him, but cause he was in the WHL and we were there. Oh, yeah, that, I love Tom the, Cowell. Him and Hasm Fratz. Well, we'll get into that another time, but anyway, Cowell, I talk to all the time, but, but the tri city spoke. Can you tell okay. him, can you, can you give, can I, yep. can you get his, Contact. Yeah. Ask him if he'll go on mine. I'd appreciate oh, sure. He'd love to. He had a great time. He, he enjoyed it. Yeah, he enjoyed it. But he spoke about the Spokane Tri-Cities rivalry, which you spoke about a ton. But to hear it from the referee side, like he said, if you got to sign that game, if you got to sign a Spokane Chief Tri-City American hockey game, that was like the biggest feather in your cap that you could have in the in the WHL because that was the biggest rivalry ever of that era, he said. And yeah. you knew that if you got called for that, that you were doing a, a good job Oops. and you were excited Oops. for that. He said you'd circle it on your calendar as a referee. You knew I when look, those games were coming. Think about some of those games. Like, looking back, and not even how crazy, just the action, though. Like, like in, in the game seven there. And, um, oh, get over it. But listen, that was one. <laughs> let's, tell, let's tell people what happened. Let's tell people what happened. I'm going to refresh. Remember, not even that. The, the, the line brawls we had, yeah. the, the fights, the, the toe-to-toe fights that the Thompson and, and uh, Sawyer would have, or everybody else for that matter. Um, we had, we well, had you, we, you should talk about that year though, because remember we, we weren't there for that cause we were in camp, but as far as everyone else in those teams, we had like four or five exhibition games, maybe even six yeah. against you guys before the yeah. season even started, even started and yeah. Spokane. So you guys know, like the geography of it, if you're in the OHL, there are like 12 teams within an hour of each other. It ain't the case out there. Like in the Western division of the Western Hockey League, you're really spread out. Prince George, we're in our division. They're 16 hours away. Well, Spokane was our closest team. They were only an hour and a half up the road. They're all so American, right? The jerseys, very similar, same kind of people. So there was a huge, huge rivalry. And that spilled over onto the, with the gloves off many times. It wasn't just that. Well, you... Well, because we played when we, I was going to say like that one year when we went, when we went to game seven with you guys, I think we played 24 times. It was, it was over yeah. 20 times, whatever it was. It was the seven games there. I think it was the 12 games in the regular season that we played. And then it was like the four or five or six yeah. or whatever in the exhibition game. So, yeah. I mean, you can imagine like the emotions uh, so this built happens. into that. This happens. We're up four to one at the start of the third period game seven in Tri-Cities. Which we've so, come back from down three to one, mind you, too. We, we, yeah, yeah. But I, it, it seemed to No, us- but I mean like as far as the series was concerned, like it was epic. Oh, like you guys were wait, up three games guess- to the one. You're right. We were up three games to one. 
Yeah. Fuck, I forgot that. And we would have won in overtime in Spokane, but it hit my skate and went in, and I argued it, but it really did. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to post this after this, and you can watch it with me. But um, anyway, so, yeah, three games of three, they come back. Now we're up four to one in the third. You think it's over. And sure enough, boom, they score, they score, and then Trent Whitfield goes down the, the sidewall and takes a slapper, and he scores on Brian Boucher, who ended up going the first round a few months later. It wasn't his fault. And now it's four to four. So overtime happens. Puck comes Overtime from- happens after scoring three in the third period. We're rolling. We're feeling great, right? We're, yep. And it was a good overtime, too. Yeah, I know what you're going to go. Should I, tell the, should I tell our part of it? And you, you can, can tell, tell your, your part, part of, it? of it, yeah. I got the puck behind the net in overtime um, in our zone. No, no, in your zone. I moved the puck up the wall to Sean Gillum at the point. Gillum pulls it to the middle, shoots the, shoots the wrister on net, clearly 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 to me who's like standing six feet away hits the tri-city defenseman in the knee i think even it wasn't even like it wasn't even remotely close to anything like it it was on his pant leg it was right yeah his pant yeah and the puck goes in so we're celebrating we just won in game seven came back from down three one four consecutive goals and it was hasenfratz was it not Yes, it was. He waved it Hazen off. Frats waves off the goal. You guys, you guys had you 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 had your gloves off celebrating. You guys were all in a pile. Goal called back. No goal. <laughs> Jason put all in, or John Serjak kicked it in. John he Sergei, said John Serjak kicked it the in. Way, the way his leg was placed, you could kind of mistake it. But hasn't Pratt's That's where I was like, you can always. It kind of does look like it might have happened, but it didn't. It was like feet away. It was just the yeah. Angle. And he didn't even listen to now. I, li- I liked Hanson Fretz, though. I'm not, for whatever reason, I guess he was positive. Um, but it worked out for us. And then, sure enough. Sure yeah, enough, so we get waved off. And then, sure enough, now Nufez's moment of immortality, which go ahead. You were chirping. I, I used to love you. There was more, but I knew you, so I could hear you chirping. Going down, Joe Cartarelli's there, all the boys. Now, 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 keep our momentum. You guys call timeout. Sure enough, puck gets dropped. Comes to me at the blue line. I just put a wrist shot on that. Like, I wristed it. Now, your buddy Mark Hurley and my buddy is in front. He says he tipped it, but no one would have ever seen it because I wristed <laughs> it, finds its way in, and then I start doing the helicopter, and I skate the whole length of the ice. I'm freaking out. I'm skating. Players can't take And I dive. It's one of the most famous, well, goals of Tri-City history, not because of the weight of it, because of the dive, because of the great swim pockets, and because it's Spokane. There was other goals scored in overtime, but it was the Spokane Chiefs. It was the rivalry in that it was Washington State. It was a rivalry within the league that no one even t- – like Washington State had a rivalry, right? Like everybody knew that. So to score that goal, and it was also the furthest that Tri-City had ever gone, and especially with you being my buddy and Lanks, and, you know, both teams had a bunch of people that kind of knew each other that chummed around with each other in the summer, right? Yeah. So anyway, and, and I still went back last year. I went back um, – they flew me out. God bless them. Stayed me at the hotel. I dropped the puck and everything. Oh, good. And, uh, they played that that whole sequence. Right? Did they really? Yeah, and the place was jammed again because it was Spokane. It was. A Spokane oh, that's awesome. City game. Yeah, that's was- awesome. Those are such special years, man. That was so fun. And even though, um, you know, you, you you get you get to smile about that one. It's still a great hell yeah, of a great story. Yeah, you had the story. last laugh. You guys went to the final the next year, and you were one of the playoff MVPs, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? 21. That was my best. Uh, that was my best little tenure there in the in the WHL for sure. Exactly. So what goes you know what goes up must come down, karma. You know all those things. So and that's it's funny because at the time those kind of wins and those games are everything, right? They're just like, oh my god, I'm like I gotta win this again. Like 
And I'm glad that I thought like that because it made me a competitor. But as you get older, you take those losses more in stride, right? Because you're like, okay, well, we'll be here again next year. And it's a young and whatever it might be for me, branched out into ball hockey and, 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 you know, coaching various sports. But, you know, you, you, as you get older, you learn to put it in perspective like a lot of other things. Well, which circles around to what you were saying about the mental side of the game. What, what do you have now? I'll, I'll repeat Penny Lane's last question because you can elaborate on this one. What are your plans in the future? Is it in this field? And I mean, any general plans? What's coming up for Jason Padone? Uh Well, I see myself working with, uh, with agencies here in the coming year, maybe an NHL team uh, directly. Uh, right now, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm with single clients, you know, um, like I said, amateur athletes that are contacting me uh, that I'm working with. But I see this thing growing. Um, I mean, the, the, Kelowna, the Kelowna Rockets are just down the street from me. You know, I got the Vernon Vipers here that are in town. Uh, this is definitely something that you can consult with teams with. And, and like I said, just kind of continuing to grow and move and start getting in front of people and sharing the message and, and just trying to help. I mean, that's really the thing. How do you help uh, get guys to where they want to go? I think that's a pretty noble thing to want to do. Uh, I think I'm, well, I know I'm good at it. And, uh, you know, I'm only one guy, so it's not like, you know, I can help everybody, but, uh, just, just getting the word out there that this is something that I needed. This is something that Terry Ryan would have needed. There's something that a lot of guys need. And I'm saying it's not even the guys that don't make it. It's the guys that are even making it need it. You well, know, I wouldn't like have needed it because I'm really mentally strong and I don't have any of the problems you just talked about. I, I would never have needed it, but go ahead. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I'm fucking kidding. Of course I would have needed it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, no, I mean, I know you're joking, right? And that's the, that's the beauty of it because there is a time where we didn't think, and I was that guy. Like if you would have talked to me at 17 or 18, oh, yeah. there's no way that I would have been like, what? You know I mean? It was a different world and it was a different time, but you don't know what you don't know until you know it. Then once you see something, then you can't unsee it. You don't right? know and what that, you don't know until you don't know it. Boom. That's an album title right there. There you go. Please. Glad we're recording this because I need to uh, make a mental note. Keep going. There you go. But, but that's the thing though, right? Because like once, once you do now know, and once you now know that there's something to actually supplement what you didn't know, that there's a way to look at it differently. There's a way to have done things differently that would have helped you. And now that can help somebody else. That's easy to get passionate about, right? That's easy to get excited about and fired up about because I know guys give a shit, right? Guys want to be great, right? They want to be great. They want to have long careers. They want to get the scholarships. They want to make the team, whatever the thing may be. And to help somebody do that is an awesome thing to do. And I love doing it. Fantastic. And uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. Your uh, well-articulated thoughts are welcome on my program. Uh, last thing I'm going to leave you with, last thing I'm going to leave you with, and you're not going to believe what this, what this question is going to be, I have okay. I'm gonna whistle a tune for you and tell me if oh, you know. Goodness. Tell you tell me if you know where it's from. Better be from the '90s or '80s. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. So hey, that was. That was the Spokane Chief goal song. It's still to this day, and I'm still playing senior hockey, the favorite goal song of any ring I've ever played in. Podes, I've spent over 20 years looking for that. What the fuck is the name of that song? Isn't that great? I was just going to ask you that. I thought you would have known. I have no idea. I don't know. I'm trying to find – so people are out there listening. I've also – I've whistled it because it never comes on, and when you think it's going to come on, it'll come on like at a game or something, and I'll get out Shazam, and it's so short that I can never get it. I'm ser- And I've whistled it into Shazam. I've tried to, I saw it on something recently. I was um, at night. I can't remember what it was. I wish, I wish I could figure out this name of this song. Anybody out there, 
send it over to me. Because I've been for years, any team that I played on phones, that would have been the song if I could figure it out. In this day and age, I still don't know how to find right, it. Right, right, right. That's cool. I, I, I'm pretty tied in with the Chiefs, sir, so I can reach out to them too and see please, if they can send it to me. Yeah. Please ask them. And uh, yeah. yeah, I would really appreciate that. And uh, hope to see you again before we die. Um, and, I'm, and that wasn't a coronavirus thing. That was just me saying to you, we're on yeah, two yeah, ends no. of the country. Hundred buddy. And uh, we get along, and I'd love to see you. I'm sure at some point I will. We'll plan a golf trip or something. Can we? Um, can I put a little plug in right now? Please do. Please I would do. just for anyone, if anyone's interested at all uh, in what I'm talking about, I got my own podcast called Up My Hockey, uh, where I have, I mean, NHL guests, really good guests, um, t- taking care of their ju- journey, looking at uh, looking at it through a microscope, where maybe they struggled, maybe they didn't, maybe they overcame some adversity. It's kind of telling the hockey story from a little different angle. Um, some really good guests. Danny Briere is one for sure. If you want to check out, um, really essentially established his career because of stuff he was doing off the ice, which is amazing and turned into be a, um, a hell of a thousand point NHLer. And, uh, anyways, it's uh, if you want to, if you want to check it out, up my hockey with Jason Padone, anywhere you get your podcast, love to love to have you. Fantastic. I think that's great. And, uh, good luck with the Pods. We'll have you on here again soon. You're, uh, you're just the kind of recurring guest I like to have around here. <laughs> <laughs> anytime new if i love chatting with you you know that whether it's recorded or not so pick up the phone whenever you want good luck buddy see you soon cheers and there you have it ladies and gentlemen i'd like to really really thank my guest jason Padolin. he's a very interesting cat and, uh, you know, everything he had to say, if you're interested, maybe check out his site. I believe Up My Life or Up My Hockey. Anyway, I don't want to rewind right now. So whatever he just said 20 seconds ago. Uh, in any case, thanks a lot to everybody uh, for listening. I'd like to thank some sponsors, Penny Posh, uh, Women's Wear Reimagined. Uh, if you want to go to coolhockey.com, you can use the promo code THPN for a discount on any purchase. And if you'd like to visit Patreon, our page is patreon.com slash the hockey pods, the hockey podcast network. Uh, again, thanks to everybody. I was going to keep going, but uh, I think we've had enough TR's tales for today. I'll be back a couple days with another two a week from here on in. Ciao. Thanks again. See you soon.